This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. All right, welcome to Diagnosing the Aftermarket A to Z. I'm Matt Fonzo, your host, and very excited to have a couple of guests for this episode. For one, my main competitor, Sean Tipping of the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. If you have any sense at all, you'll never listen to any of the episodes with me on them. (laughs) (laughs) And my other guest, Matt Scundrich, a mobile tech down in Florida, also doing more and more training. So the idea with this episode is Sean's a college instructor as well as a podcaster, as well as a mobile diagnostic tech, as well as who knows what else. I think he's like a Michelin star chef. It might actually it might actually be Scundrich. He was telling us about making beef Wellington. That might be the subject of another podcast. We'll probably kick that one over to the automotive diagnostic podcast. I don't know. We'll think about it. Rock, <laughs> paper, scissor it. <laughs> uh, Matt's been doing a few more uh, classes on electrical. Uh, he's done it for, I think, um, Robert or Dutch Silverstein. If you're good friends with him, I think you can call him Dutch. And if you're not, it's Robert. So I call him Robert. And then I just call him uh, whatever he you wants did it to be for called. Sean Miller too, yeah. Yeah, actually, that's who originally the class was wrote for was Sean Miller. And then uh, recently for AKG uh, AK. Automotive Key Key Group. Yeah, and Sean is the the college instructor, and obviously, we talk a lot about electrical stuff. So today we're going to try doing something off the cuff, the most bougie conversation. Yeah, basically a Q&A. They're going to ask me questions about electricity. And I do have a concern that this could come off a little stuffy, uh, heavy on theory. Maybe even a lot of nice-to-know stuff versus need-to-know. But we're going to do our best to roll the nice-to-know into need-to-know. Hey, how's everybody doing tonight? I'm doing great. Uh, Happy to be here. And uh, yeah, I got got lots of questions (laughs) because I... um, I didn't pay attention enough when I was in school and I wish I would have <laughs> to the to the theory and stuff because now that I'm teaching, I'm like, man, it would have been really good to have a little bit more education uh, on this stuff, uh, deeper The sick part is, is the theory is probably wrong, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, probably it, it probably is. Most of that stuff is wrong. I don't know if it's wrong enough to actually send you down the wrong path of anything like that, you know, the path of the dark side or anything, but... <laughs> I use that in my it, class. When it comes down to <laughs> it, it's probably theoretically wrong. But it, it gets back to something we talked about on your podcast with accuracy versus applicability. And I'm a pretty big proponent of applicability. Like, you know, it's neat to be able to rattle off stuff theoretically and it sounds cool, but sometimes applying it can get rough. Sure. Let's let's take the basic one that uh, I'll, I'll pick on Paul Danner for a second because I swear if I have to watch one more video in here and explain and relay this way, it just kills me. As the voltage goes through this field, the magnetic field induces, it pulls the relay closed and the current flows. And I'm like, that's not okay. I guess, sure. Right? Like, there's, there's a million other things going on in that circuit besides just that. Yeah, I, I think the first thing is when we talk about magnetic fields, there's a very, very strong argument that there's no such thing as a magnetic field. That when we talk about a magnetic field, we're talking about 
an effect or a set of um, characteristics and that the magnetic field really is an electric field and specifically an electric field that's moving or charge is moving. And because of that, we have to factor in, and I mean, you're going to love this. You bring in special relativity. That is one of the big things that Einstein brought to us. Uh, I think, honestly, I think it was his first paper, and I think it was in like 19... <laughs> Probably should have taken notes, but <laughs> I, I, I want to say 1908, but I don't know. I don't think that really matters. But essentially, what do we all know about um, charged particles, or, or specifically charges? even more specifically like charges and opposite charges. What do, we, what do we know? How do they interact with one another? If we have a negative charged particle and a positive charged particle, what, what will they tend to do? They're going to attract each other. Yeah, opposites attract. And like particles kind of repel. Really, what we're talking about there is something called equilibrium. And the universe essentially wants equilibrium. We could maybe use another word, balance, but that's not exactly true. It's equilibrium or even lowest energy state. So basically, it, it wants it wants to be at its lowest energy state or equal. That's why, like on a battery, you have the positive side and the negative side, and they want to get, you know, together. You know, one wants to get to the other. They want that equilibrium. Mm -hmm. We have the same thing happen with the particles when we have a flow of charge and from, I know we're going to get into something like something called inertial reference frames. And we'll just, the easiest way to think about that inertial reference frames is point of view. So from the point of view of the flow of charge in the wire, no, you no longer have, um, this equilibrium anymore. You have charged particles on the outside that kind of want to get in. Okay. And because of that, that you get this phenomena or the characteristics that we would equate to a magnetic field. And then, you know, not to go off on a tangent, if we look at a permanent magnet. I was just going to ask about that, actually. Yeah. We think of a permanent magnet as being static, not moving. So you just said that, you know, we don't have a magnetic field, but there's a moving electric field gives the characteristics of a magnetic field that hunk of metal laying there has no charge running through it. It's not moving. So why is that magnetic? Why does this have magnetic properties? And it turns out, like, if we could really zoom in, you would find that there is motion. And it may not be motion in the way we think of motion, like moving from point A to point B. We're going to get into something called particle spin. And particle spin isn't, like, what we think of as spin, with like little you know planets or you know spinning a ba basketball on your finger, it's more of a property of the particle. And when they all line up, like they do in um, metals, specific almost specifically, but um, in elements or whatnot that have magnetic properties, they align and it's essentially moving, and we get that same effect. Yeah, you can actually see magnetic fields with a special paper. I remember it in our physics two class; it was really cool. Yeah, the paper, or you, you could um, you can see the the magnetic lines of flux. You can see yeah. the path. 
We had the, we had the, like the metal shavings. Yep, iron filings or that that paper you're talking about is really inexpensive, and every shop should have a few sheets laying around. Oh yeah, um, yeah, that's just yeah. what they need. You know, forget the last no, go, go buy the paper. <laughs> well, but the paper comes in handy when they're using almost specifically, almost primarily aftermarket um, wheel bearings or uh, ABS that have ABS reluctors in them. Okay, they have that the little magnetic. Tone ring? Should we say spaces or what's a good word? You're talking like the Honda bearings where if you put it in backwards, you don't get anything? <laughs> backwards backwards, or what you find. The, I mean, that's a good example. You put them in backwards or the uh, the number is wrong. So like the OE one has 120, mm. uh, you know, raised magnetic spots. Where and then you put in the, you know, choose your favorite aftermarket part to, um, you know, dump on <laughs> and it doesn't have 120 it has 80 or it has 240 yeah you know it's a it becomes a problem but you know i like your example too like some of them you're not sure like uh oh which side to to go in which side's the mate you know or did the bearing i order is it magnetic like does it looks like it but is it really and now this sheet of paper and you can't really call it paper but the sheet you lay it near it and you can see the uh, magnetic lines of flux and then you could actually count the number if you wanted or you could just see that it's magnetic and you have it installed the uh, proper way I mean I find a paper clip the most useful tool in my toolbox for that but (laughs) hey you know (laughs) (laughs) Um, okay let me dumb this down for a moment here um, somewhere in there, you mentioned electrical field, and that was actually one thing I know I've really struggled with just to conceptualize what, what a field actually is. Do you have a, a definition or how would you define that to somebody? Cause I was, I struggled. I'm like, what, what is it? No, I get it. But what is it? <laughs> There's a lot of them. I've seen where they re- reference up to, no, I shouldn't say up to, um, a common one to kick around is 37. 37 fields. So you have a field associated with fundamental particles. Such as? Like an electron field. Okay. The electromagnetic field. Um, So you have force carriers, electrons, photons, you know, and there'd be like the Higgs field, right? We know we heard about that not, not too terrible long ago. I think it's one way to think about it is it's a value at every point in space. And then each field has reacts to those force carriers. All right. Yeah. Okay. And and that would be true. So if we take the electromagnetic field, Mm -hmm. it's force carrier is a photon. So we think of photons as light and and they are, and it's the smallest energy packet of light, one photon. One way to think about it, I think a lot of times we think of photons, electrons, you know, not that we think about a lot of fundamental particles after that, but those would be two that we probably think about a lot. We kind of maybe think of them as little, you know, ball bearings or little balls, you know, like an electron's a little blue ball flying down a wire. Turns out it might be a better to think about them as a data packet uh, on a data bus. 
and the data bus, instead of being limited to, you know, like one and a half, two and a half volts, it has other voltage levels, but they're very specific. So it can only be zero, one, two. It can't be half or one and a half or two and a half. That's one way to kind of think about it. And that would be the energy level. But you have a packet. It's a data packet. So if you ever opened up a like a CAN bus, you know, even, you know, even some other network protocols, you just kind of open them up and you start seeing these packets. And they call them that, right? It's a packet. Sure. That's a way to think about a photon because that packet has a frequency to it. And one where we would notice the frequency is in color. So we have this light coming from the sun, white light. <clears throat> it hits the grass. The grass, ha- you know, way down at the quantum level, the atoms, the way they take in that photon, the energy state of the uh, electrons of those atoms jump up. So instead of, you know, two volts, it jumps up to three volts, but it doesn't stay there. Remember equilibrium. It wants to go back to its lowest energy state. So it drops as it drops. It emits a photon. The photon is that data packet and it has a frequency and the frequency is green. Okay. So that's one way to start really thinking about fields is they, they're everywhere. Generally, depending on you know where we're at, they're going to be at their lowest energy state, which we'll just say is zero, until something interacts or we send, I don't want to say we, but something is sent along that. And sure. then you have the same thing with electron uh, for current flow or, or, or electricity, that that packet of um, the electron is kind of like a data packet and it's basically taking and moving the electron field and the electron field may interact and it does with the electromagnetic field and they can interact with other fields. You know, we know that the Higgs field is kind of what gives things their mass, if you will, kind of a resistance to move. So that field interacts with a lot of the other fields. Again, I know that's, it's kind of getting convoluted, but that's what's really going on. That's that's what it is. I'm not sure how you're going to apply it to a car. <laughs> Probably not, but it's super interesting. Uh, I think everybody just turned their podcast off. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> what do you say about the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast? You should go over to that. <laughs> just don't listen to Matt. Jesus. Uh-huh. There's instances where I think it's, I don't know about applicable. Um, well, I went through it with the a remote keyless entry stuff that I was struggling on on this 19 Yukon. And that's when I dove into like electromagnetic fields and waves and stuff like that and realized I knew jack squat about any of that stuff. And I don't know that it really helped me fix it, but I'll give you a prime example of where you need to know about magnetic fields. And I mean, purely magnetic fields. So when I took physics, my physics professor was like, you're going to hear there's no such things as magnetic fields. That's bullshit. And and he got his PhD arguing that a magnetic field is a fundamental field. And I was like, okay, whatever. I don't care. Just got to pass whatever this guy says to get my grade. If you have an 18, 19 Dodge Ram 
and it's push start and it has proximity keys. The door handle where the keyhole is on the other side, there's a little permanent magnet that's inserted into the, I, I call it the cap, right? So you have the handle and then the other side of the handle where the key would go in, there's that cap. In that cap, there's a magnet. And what happens is there's a little sensor in the handle that detects that magnetic field when it's when the handle's closed. And that's when you put your hand on it and it says, whoa, wait a minute, I detect the hand and I'm closed? Oh, let me make sure the door's not locked so this jack wagon can open his lifted truck on 36s that's never going off-road so he can climb in there. But if that magnet's gone, it assumes the door handle's open so then it doesn't ever send the signal to open the car door. So you actually have to understand a little bit of a magnetic field because if the magnet gets shocked and by dropping impacts, it can actually lose its magnetic properties, and now the handle won't work. If the ma if the if the magnet, oh gee, shocking all body shops, if they take take the little cap off and drop it, and the magnet falls out, it doesn't have magnetic properties. And and there's actually a star case that tells you to pull the handle open and take a paperclip and shove it in there and let the paperclip go, and the paperclip better be held by the magnet or the handle won't work. If you mix the cap from the front door to the rear door, which no longer has a magnet, it will not work. So yeah, there is actually some understanding of, uh, basically they're using Maxwell's equation of magnetic force to interrupt a circuit and go, hey, the handle's closed. Oh, the customer touched it. Oh, let's open the door now. We have to understand the characteristics of it, right? Whether magnetic fields truly exist or not. I don't know how important that is, but I know what they do. I, I say they truly exist because it makes my life simpler. <laughs> well, well, right. That's what I'm saying though, right? Is Does it help anybody to go like, well, it's not a magnetic field, it's an electric field with this characteristic. And you can have an electric field without a magnetic field, but you can't have a magnetic field without an electric field. Again, would it help you on that door handle? No, but you know what a magnetic field should do. It's got that attractive and or re repelling type properties. And so there's an expected results. And I think that is extremely important to understand. Um, one other one idea I had about not so much that we care so much that there's magnetic fields or not, but the, the, you can have an electric field without the magnetic field is uh, on ignition, specifically looking at like secondary waveforms and having a uh, some kind of an inductive clamp. So we might call it a sync probe if we're looking at a, a vehicle or an ignition system with plug wires. We'll put a sync probe on there, which is essentially a current probe. It's essentially a you know low current probe. And then you could have your capacitive probe clipped right next to it. And you, you can see where you have this buildup of voltage, you know, this buildup of an electric field, because that's what a capacitor the capacitive probes sense, if you will. That's what they're de detecting is a buildup of this electric field. You can see this buildup, but I don't have current flow yet. There isn't enough to make the jump across the spark plug electrodes or the you know distributor rotor, whatever. So you can see this buildup occurring, but there's no current flow yet. There's no uh, magnetic field, if you will. And therefore, the current, the, the sync probe doesn't really show anything until that breakdown voltage occurs. We 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 now have enough potential to make the leap across the uh, spark plug. And now you see the big spike on the sync probe. 
and you have the um, the usually it correlates with the big spike of voltage on the um, secondary waveform uh, of the firing line, if you will. If you take a whatever scope, I think most scopes are capable of doing this. If you really s- stretch open that um, firing line, really open that up, mm-hmm. you can see the point where it kind of rises, rises, plateaus or drops, and then surges back up. And right there, that notch, that's called the breakdown voltage. I've heard it called like, I think they call it waterfall too. But I think it's breakdown. That's the point where current flow is initiated. We've now reached enough to push that, push the current across the air gaps. I think it's funny because one of the things I really stress in my basic electrical class is understanding what volts, ohms, and amps is. I feel so sorry for the poor souls who sign up for my six-hour class because I yeah. think for two hours is me just explaining volts, amps, and ohms and definitions. And by the time they get done, I keep using each word over and over and over again. But then I go, what is voltage? Oh, it's a force. And when we measure voltage, we're measuring a pressure difference. And that's what you're talking about. It's building that pressure until it pops. Mm-hmm. It'd be just like PSI, right? Yep. Sure. It, it, it's really what it is. It's a measurement of electromotive force or force potential. And that that's the scale. That's the um, what we associate with, you know, distance. You might have millimeters or hectometers or kilometers. It's the same thing. It's a It's a measurement of distance. This is a measurement of electrical potential or electromotive force and same with amperes with current it's the you know amount of charge flowing through a point in a certain amount of time and well, then ohms for resistance and then what's opposing that current flow yeah i think the relationship between the three i know a lot of people have said this too but that's the most important part to understand is just even if even if you don't know the math i mean which isn't that hard as long as you understand the relationship between them yeah. that's what i try to stress I think fans explained voltage in the most convoluted long sentence I've ever heard in my entire <laughs> life. But hey, it worked. I was tracking with them. It's a measurement. That's what it is. But it's really all we use. And it's universal, right? It's not like the U.S. has voltage and the U.K. has some metric version. And you know, almost like time, really. You know, Everybody uses seconds, milliseconds. That's that's the best thing about electrical for me has always been is that it applies to everything and it doesn't care what kind of car it is. Sort of. It sort of applies. At a certain point, if you actually take a physics class and you're calculating the EMF, they're like, oh, wait, are you doing the mass of that atom in kilograms or are you doing it in English units? And I'm like, it's a friggin' atom. Does it matter what we're doing it in the mass? They're nothing. But I tell you what, it actually makes a difference. Uh, it's the funny. scale's broken, man. Yeah. <laughs> Did you tear that first? That's supposed to be a hydrogen atom, man. So my physics professor, when we were taking physics two with calculus, he's like, all right, we're going to calculate how much force it takes to break this proton away from this atom. And I was like, oh, this is going to be cool. Hour and a half into class later, he's like, see, it takes this much force. And I'm like, that was the dumbest shit I've ever done in my entire college career. And he's like, just wait, you're going to be doing this for the next 16 hours as you do 30 of these examples for homework. And I was like, oh, my gosh. So, yeah, I, I should just mail you my physics book that I never, ever want to open again because it was that boring. 
I was going to say, how much force does it take? I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's some really, it's not like a unit that you're used to. It's, okay. it's like he did the equation and then explained it. And it was like, oh, to rip this off, you have to have this balance out, which is why you end up with this magnetic field because there's this movement of this current. And, and I was like, sitting in class with this blank stare on my face. I think all the students had a blank stare in their face. And then we were like, oh, okay. But what was interesting was depending, like, once you knew it was this atom, it had this many protons, this many neutrons, you, you there was almost like a table. Like, you could just look it up. Like, oh, yeah, it has, periodic table. Yeah. Oh, the periodic table. Oh, we're dealing with this element. I know how many protons and neutrons it has. Therefore, it's going to take this much force to rip it. And and you could just carry it out that way. And it was funny because he was kind of explaining why, like, it was – and he went through this long, convoluted answer about why gold is such a good conductor because it has this odd number. And then due to this, it's easier to rip that element off first, like, you know – bronze and i was like oh this now makes sense that's why everybody likes gold contacts and that's why we use copper wiring in our house that's why we don't use stainless steel anymore or you know right right or aluminum or aluminum yeah they used aluminum for a while they did in the uh in like 77 i believe aluminum was uh electrical code but they realized that as it heated up the elements actually changed some and it became very brittle I mean, it was like pointless into this day. I've never really thought about it until now, but I guess maybe I use it some, but it was. I know lots and lots and lots of pointless stuff. <laughs> I try to not remember them because I need to restore useful information. <laughs> like, how far does that radar target go in that 2020 <laughs> on Ultima? Mine are mainly like movie quotes and song lyrics and just random BS. That's the stuff I remember. The important stuff I like got to go look it up or something. When did you get married? Oh, hold on. I have an uh, app for that. <laughs> <laughs> you can't ask that question and have me wing that. I have to have notes so I can just look and go. <laughs> so I know. See, you got to be smart like set me. Set me up like that. I put my Wi-Fi password as our anniversary date. So anytime I get a new device, nice, I have to nice. type it in. It's <laughs> <laughs> that reminder. But now if I forget, my wife's going to be like, really? How'd you forget? It's our Wi-Fi password. That's uh, that's a good idea. I might have to do something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it's funny you mentioned like um, good and evil because I start off my class with the, uh, the Yoda from Star Wars 2. The Mandalorian? No, no. Oh. So, like it's Yoda when he's interviewing young Anakin. And oh, he's like, okay. I see a lot of hate in you. Hate leads to anger. Yep. Or I see fear. a lot of anger. You fear in you. Fear leads to hate. Hate leads to anger. Anger leads to the dark side. And I'm always like, this is what we're trying to avoid: the dark side. What leads is the to dark suffering. side? Suffering. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, it's just throwing parts at a car because you don't feel like solving the diagnostic problem. So let's go over this. So the dark side is the parts cannon. Uh... Yeah, I call it the parts cannon. And then. Uh, <laughs> Later on, when I ask people what do they, what do I mean by force, I play the, uh, the clip. Does that from... mean like identifies the Death Star? Yes. <laughs> 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 and uh, I make, uh, I play that scene where, jeez, uh, oh, the girl, I can't think of her name, in Episode Eight or no, let's see, that'd be Eight Nine, where she finds Luke Skywalker and he's like, "What's the force?" 
and he's like, hold out your hand, and he touch, and you know that little scene where she describes the force, and he's like, congratulations, everything you said in that sentence was wrong. I'm like, this is usually how I hear electrical described, so let's fix it. I don't think George Menchu, when he read through my class, thought my Star Wars stuff was very funny because I noticed he deleted all them slides. So I put that back because <laughs> I'm like, most of my stuff's right out of Billy Madison. Like that. Now everybody is dumber having had to listen to that. <laughs> That's how I'm going to feel about my key class. Oh, congratulations. We spent an hour describing how a wafer moves and a lock. Yay. Nowhere in your incoherent ramblings. Did you utter one <laughs> accurate thing? Thank you. And now everyone is dumber. Uh, May God have mercy on your soul. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to post that a lot on Facebook. I just want to let you know. Like that video clip, I just feel like posting that. We're going to relate electric- electricity to no. the puppy who lost his way. Uh, One of the things I find interesting, and I, I don't understand how text don't understand, is current flow equals heat. Like, I I think it's interesting techs don't quite fully understand that a 10-watt light bulb will not generate nearly as much heat as a 1,000-watt light bulb Oh right. at, at the same voltage, right? Like, let's say they're both 12 volts. You have a 10-watt and you have a 1,000-watt light bulb. Which one's going to produce more heat? I don't think they teach the power. Sean, do you teach, like, that power equation much? Nope, not at current all. Current times uh, voltage? We do, we don't reference watts. I don't think ever because I mean in an automotive application, I don't recall seeing that anywhere. See, I don't either. But when I teach it, I and I get to current, I tell them the more current you have, the more heat you have. Therefore, sure. you must have a larger conductor because the conductor allows more atoms to flow through it, not so compressed. The more you sure. compress something, it's like air. The hotter it gets. You don't want a million atoms running down a strand of wire. It'll melt. You want a million atoms running down 200 strands of wire. I explained it that way, but I don't go over the equation. But I I think it's kind of interesting how many techs overlook heat as a problem. But yet, we all have thermal imagers to find the parasitic draw. (laughs) (laughs) And life is good, yeah. Yeah, that's what we do. Well, you're in Minnesota. Just leave the car outside. Everything yeah, else know, is minus right? 25. Exactly. And you're like, oh, look, it's zero right there. That's yeah. the problem. Wherever the think. snow is melted on the car, that's, oh, that's our draw there. <laughs> Usually it works pretty good when you have about 300, 350 milliamps. And then, yeah, it'll show up in the imager. Much under that, sometimes not so good. And then you got your the amp hound out. I've learned in Florida, you have to put the car inside the garage in the <laughs> <Yeah>. shade <laughs> and wait all day for everything to thermally neutralize. Park it out in the sun and use the thermal imager to find the cold spot. That's where <laughs> the- <laughs> <laughs> But it works. I mean, I've done it several times here. Like, I'll pull a car in a body shop and I'll put it somewhere and I'll be like, do not touch this car until I come back tomorrow. And I'll come back and I'm like, oh, there it is. I, I love that trick. But yeah, I, I think it's interesting. Like we tell techs like, oh, that wire feels hot. Oh, that's a bad connection. And I'm like, maybe at, but generally not as a whole. Yeah. Yeah, that is an odd correlation. Bad connection, hot wire. That would really be the opposite. 
Yeah. I think that's an interesting myth that we live in our automotive industry. Oh, it's hot. It's a bad connection. I'm like, mm. maybe right at the spot. Maybe. And depending on what we're talking about for bad connection. So like in corrosion world, like in the wire, that would probably not be the case. Um, bad connection where it's like loose and making contact intermittently. Yeah, I probably get some pretty good heat there. I'm thinking like battery terminal ends, right? They've been, nope. the cable's sure. been wiggled a lot. There's wire strands broken. They're like, oh, it's a bad connection. I'm like, well, it's not really the connection. It's actually the wire. <laughs> let's, let's be, it's broken. <laughs> That's why we have the heat. We've gone from 200 strands to 30 strands and you have to shove the same amount of atoms on it. Yep. Well, so, okay. So that's where I think understanding at least a little bit of the theory actually does apply because I think it can help you visualize what's happening. And that that's one thing we tell our students, or I try to explain to my students is you need to be able to visualize this in your head somehow, whatever form that takes, if it's a water analogy and that works for you to fix cars, that's awesome. But you, you have to be able to close your eyes and imagine it happening like you would listening to an engine noise, right? Like you can't see that rod knock, but I can visualize the crankshaft and the, the, the journals and all that stuff. I can visualize it. Okay, there's that noise. Suspension suspension noise, right? We all do that. We drive a vehicle. We can't see the front end while we're going over bumps or turning the wheel, but we're visualizing the components moving. And so many people don't have that for electric yeah. at all. And that's where they get lost because they, they have nothing in their heads where I've been, I've been doing this a long time. So I have a picture in my head of what's happening in the circuit when I'm looking at it. So that's where I think some of this theory stuff can actually help you out if somebody explains it to you the right way of <laughs> how everything's going through the circuit, you know? Matt said something about uh, myths. And I remember getting into an argument with a instructor at a college I was on the advisory board. And I'd seen something on the uh, the whiteboard that electricity always takes the path of least resistance. And I'm looking at it and I'm looking at him and he's like, something wrong? I'm like, I think I disagree with that. It's like, what do you mean? Everybody knows that. I'm like, I don't like the way it's worded. I think you could word it better. What do you mean? Like, the way you have that worded, a parallel circuit with different resistance values wouldn't work because the electricity would take the path of least resistance. So the if there's a branch that has higher resistance, there'd be no current flow down there. It would never work. You could never have a parallel uh, circuit work. And he's like, no, but everybody knows electricity takes the path of least resistance. No, no, it, uh, not really. <laughs> it can't. It just, it can't. When it really boils down to it, it really was just a little bit of twisting of words, right? You know, because you had this this always word and you could have maybe just said most or, you know, even, even almost all, but and it, it's, it's nitpicking, but I just felt really strongly and I don't want to, it's not like we're yelling at each other or anything, but it's like, this is something to think about, man. Like this is, think about what you're saying, thinking, think about reality. And I'm not telling you like you're an idiot or anything. It's just change the words a little bit. And then you could even bring this up, you know, hey, I had this on here. I wrote it really fast. I chose the wrong words. Think about what I said and then draw a parallel circuit and say, if that's true, how could this possibly work? 
And then they would just kind of, oh, wait, okay. It can't all, you know, it'd be like even watching, um, you know, Minnesota, we have a lot of rivers and, you know, we call them like channels or whatever. The water would only then flow through the biggest portion. All these other things would have dry riverbeds. Well, that's not the case. We know that. Or tributaries. I think that might be even more uh, specific. Yeah. Blood would be capillaries. Right. So it's kind of somewhat similar uh, premise that it would only ever go down the arteries. It would never make it out to the capillaries. That would suck. What are you guys' feelings on the, the water analogy for electrical? I have the same feelings about it as when somebody's like, describe the Holy Spirit. Oh, it's like a cheese pizza. You have God the Father, God the Son, <laughs> and the Holy Spirit. You have pizza dough, sauce, and cheese. And I'm like, okay, it's an analogy that works, but there's so much wrong with it, and I'm just going to walk away. I have a Bible degree. Whenever somebody says cheese pizza, I have two thoughts jump into my head. One, <laughs> Home Alone, and two, Freddy Krueger. <laughs> like, well, that's what pops about, in my head. Now you're going to think about the uh, Trinity over there, you know? Well, no, I have to rewatch the freaking Nightmare on Elm Street movies and find out if there's something like Lord of the Rings going on where there's these biblical references I totally missed. It was. The pizza is the Lord of the Rings. That's where it takes place. <laughs> it's Middle Earth. <laughs> so I, I want to jump back to Matt's comment because I may, I tried to make this point at AKG. Um, I actually go through all the math with them, right? Like we do a series circuit. We do a parallel circuit. We do a series parallel. And... I don't actually expect them to do the math calculations. I kind of pick whole numbers and make it real easy, right? Um, but I don't expect them. Like, I even make my battery 10 volts just to make the math easier because who cares, right? Um, but one of the things I try to get them to do is at this point in this parallel circuit, where is more of the current going to go? Is it going to go over to the right or is it going to go to the left? And I tell them, if it takes the path of least resistance, where would it all go? And the one guy goes, well, it'd go to the right because it's one ohm. The other one's 10 ohms. And then I told the guy, it's not that it takes the pass of least resistance. It wants to do the least amount of work. So there's only 10 volts of force. It, it has to push so many atoms through it. And if it can push 900 through that door and 100 through that door over there, that's how it's going to do it. I said, because if you had to push a 500-pound guy and a 300-pound guy – you're surely going to push the 300-pound guy a lot farther than you're going to want to push that 500-pound guy. I said it's the same concept with electrical. Well, the 500-pound guy might roll better. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's a body shape. Uh, but yeah, so I, I've even stopped saying, oh, electricity always goes the path of least resistance because I'm like, that's not it, – it can't work. So yeah, I think it's – I say I say electricity wants to do the least amount of work. So short to ground is less work to get back to the source, right? Because let's go back to the fundamentals of electricity. What is electrical flow? Well, it's the atoms going from realistically the negative to the positive to create that zero point. And it wants to do it with the least amount of work physically possible. So if it's a direct short, that's fine. But if it has to go through something, that's fine as well. I was asking you guys how you felt. Oh, about, the water theory. Yeah, and you told me about cheese pizza and <laughs> cheese pizza and the Trinity. That's the best. And then we got hungry. <laughs> I'm ordering Papa John's right now. Um, 
No, I actually eat a bowl. My wife makes fun of me because I drink chocolate milk and eat a bowl of Lucky Charms every night before bed. And she's like, are you 34 or four? How are you and I'm not like, 500 pounds? <laughs> I, uh, I don't eat lunch most days. And I, I put on 10 breakfast. pounds because you mentioned it. You're welcome. I like the water theory because it gives them... It, it's like my cheese pizza, right? Like I used it all time when I was an assistant children's pastor because the kids could understand the visual. Like you can't have a cheese pizza without those three ingredients. If you have a water tank and you have four pipes and they're all different sizes, water's flowing out all four pipes. But you clearly have a lot more water out of the biggest pipe because it has the least resistance. So if the one pipe's four inches and the other pipe's a quarter inch, which one do you get more water out of? Well, the four inch one because it has the least resistance to flow. So there's a lot of good with it. I just feel like it gets taken out of context way too often. I think it's kind of like a necessary necessary evil almost because it gets back to there's nothing that we interact with on a daily basis that behaves remotely like electricity. And you, you, we can't see it. We, there's nothing that we're going to do to kind of peer into a wire and see what's going on. Mm-hmm. So the water analogy at least gives them, like you're saying, that visual mental image of what's going on and it's not unlike that's not taught outside of auto repair i mean the water analogy is taught in lots and lots of fields and they have um i guess i don't know if curriculum is the right word that that uses that where you know a battery might be a a water tower of some sort you know and accumulators would be capacitors and stuff like that. You know, the pipes or the wires legitimately they have this and it's, it's taught and it just, you know, at some point it starts falling apart in different areas. You know, is it enough to be, get all wound up about it? No, I'm not wound up about it. Just, you know, in the back of your head, you know that there's more going on. And at some point you may hit where, it doesn't correlate so well. You know, when we get into like the um, uh, capacitance of wires or the effect, like, so when you're trying to scope a CAN bus and you're not using your high speed leads, you know, you're. Um, Wait, we have high speed leads? Yeah, those passive probes. I used to know the number of them. I don't think it's. Oh, you mean you're not talking CAN bus? You're talking that that goofy. Well, it could be CAN bus. It could be flex ray. If you look at you're a talking CAN those bus flex with... bay leads. I've never well, used it. But even on CAN, if you're scoping a CAN bus with you know ten foot, maybe non AES wave leads, just lower quality. They're long. You scope CAN bus. You have a ton of ringing going on. But we've kind of grown accustomed to that. A lot of people, like, they put up the known good CAN bus. It will have a lot of ringing on those. But if you take those, you know, um, passive probes, you know, the the low capacitance probes, if you will, all of a sudden CAN bus is pretty clean. There's not a whole lot of ringing. There's a lot of square edges, you know, especially if you got them tuned right. That could be that, you know, there's not a wild water analogy that's going to work so well for that because now you have the capacitance going on. You have a charge going through these scope leads that charge particles of the opposite are kind of clinging to. And it's 
kind of causing a delay and a drag and 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 momentum and inertia, if you will. And it affects the waveform. Is it affecting it so bad you won't be able to diagnose anything? No, but the real CAN bus is a lot cleaner using leads that ha- are less affected by these things. You know, high, better, more shielding. Sure. You know, most of those leads have a very, very fine, small wire going through the center of them. Those those passive probes that come in Pico kits now. Very fine, very small, heavily shielded so that they don't, there's less of that effect, less of that clinging, if you will, to the outside. That's where an, a water analogy might fall apart. Is it so freaking important? Uh, you know, uh, maybe not. Here's another spot where the water analogy falls apart. You just mentioned it, shielding. <laughs> you don't have to shield water pipes. Nothing's going to interfere with them. <laughs> sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think I was thinking about one too with like counter-electromotive force. You know, does uh, water really factor? If I run a water through a curly cue, it doesn't create a magnetic field. <laughs> <laughs> There's no inductive reactants. Like I said, I, I like the water analogy. I don't use it in my class hardly at all. I, I try to I really try to say things like, hey, this atom is moving or this you know, we have this electron that's peeling off this atom and it's it's ripping across space and time like Ant-Man flying through <laughs> the the ultra-shrinking universe. Again, like the, the quote-unquote truth, it gets really, it's really jacked up. Turns out the nature of reality at very, you know, in the very, the quantum world, I guess, if you will, if we're going to keep running with Ant-Man. Yeah. It's really messed up. Well, it's like everybody assumes electricity goes from positive to negative, but that's because we all use conventional theory but realistically it's yeah. negative to positive and it took them right. what was it like 50 years after they put positive to negative they realized oh we got it wrong oh, we'll yeah. just stick with it ben franklin compared electricity and that's before they even really knew about electrons or anything they literally were using kind of that fluid you know electricity was a fluid and that's how they treated it. And and it's fine, right? This we're talking like 1700s. Everything starts out that way, right? You come up with an idea, you test yeah. it. Like electric cars are a great idea. <laughs> so, oh, sorry, another podcast. But Ben Franklin compared that to um, uh, currency. So you, you you would have debits and credits. Well, okay, they gave it charge, positive and negative, and the assumption was that it flowed from positive to negative, and that that worked until they kind of discover the electron, and then the electron has a negative charge, and then if you have a buildup of electric electric charge, it's going to be more negative. So then it turns out current flows from negative to positive. And there was a distinct moment in time, or maybe not moment, but you know, era or what whatever you want to call it, where they could have changed it. Scientists could have changed it. And they didn't. We stuck with it. We just kind of looked the other way. And it's still, you know, so it's kind of a it's kind of a mess. Right? Like they know Electricity flows negative to positive, but we still kind of talk about it as positive to negative, and you can start running into problems that way. Some current probes really mess with people, right? If you look right. at them, you know, they got the arrow going the one way, but then they have the positive and the negative, and some of them show it electron, <laughs> and others show it conventional. The, the unfortunate part about that is trying to explain that to a student who's just trying to get their head wrapped around this 
in the beginning and they're like, why is that arrow going the wrong way? And you're trying to explain this. And then they're just like, what? Well, now I don't understand anything. So <laughs> definitely. I think that's the best way to approach it is just level with them. Like this is what mm-hmm. they thought. Yep. So ben Franklin flying the kites, got the key. He thought of electricity as a fluid, not just him, like everybody did at the time. Mm-hmm. And he compared it to the currency system, literally debits and credits, gave it a charge, positive and negative. And he could have flipped a coin and he probably did. But just the assumption was it flows from positive to negative. They didn't really understand electrons and and the ch- the way they are charged until much, much later. And then, you know, the science community honestly probably just dropped the ball. They should have just switched it. And And the real problem becomes is they had understood other things scientifically before this, right? Like they knew that if you had, let's just say an iron ball that's 10,000 degrees hot and you drop it in a bucket of water that's zero degrees, the, the ball gives its heat off to the water. And and so to them it was oh this 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 positively hot item goes to cold because it's giving off its heat therefore the positive must flow to like it's almost like water water is the oddball object in the world right when it gets cold it expands <laughs> it's the only thing that does it and yep. so electricity they just got backwards because it's the oddball thing where negative flows to positive um, Sean if you remind me after this there's a website and I'll try to get it so you can put a link or something in or mention it later. But you can it's it it gives you either electrical symbols or you can use like a standard light bulb, a double A looking battery. But mm-hmm. when you turn the circuit on, you watch the atoms flow and they're negatives, right? So it'll have the net and, and it tells you this is electron theory, and you hit the button and it says conventional theory, and they just have the, the little things flow the wrong way. And it's 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 great because I use it in my class. I have a little video of it, and I'm like, see, this is how it really works. I just want you to see how it really works. Okay, forget I showed you how it really works. This is how we're going to talk about it the rest of the day. Yeah. Next week, Sean's doing Why is Ice Slippery? So, <laughs> looking forward to that. What is ice? I don't understand this concept yeah. in Florida. What was another one I was thinking about? Um, a lot of times they think um, electrons flow through wires at the speed of light. And oh, it's, that's it's thinking about electrons as, you know, the little blue balls or whatever particles it turns out electron flow through circuits if you will is extremely slow like super super slow centimeters i think like centimeters per hour slow uh what moves fast what moves at you know the speed of light if you will is the charge like i find it really really interesting again i don't know what it would never help me fix squat. But you have the flow of charge going through this wire. So if that's what's carrying the energy, how would AC voltage work? Because now you have electrons that are juddering or switching directions, if you will. The flow of charge is changing. So how can you possibly have a light work or... Um, you know, anything, refrigerator. Sure. If if the flow of charge is going back and forth, it would cancel itself out. And it turns out the answer is there's something called the um I think it's the point pointing. Uh it's not pointing like POI, it's POY pointing. Uh pr- I want to say principle. I could be full of crap on the last part, but I know it's that person. 
he figured out that the energy flow itself cannot be in the direction of the uh, charge or turns out it's also perpendicular to like the magnetic portion. So that means the energy flows. If, if we were to look at a wire pointing you vector. point A, yeah, you don't, yeah, you don't have, you have point A and point B. So like whatever the battery post to the light bulb, it's not going in the direction of from the battery post to the light or from the light back to the post. It's perpendicular meaning it's coming from the surrounding area, which gets back to what we were talking about earlier with fields. It's pulling that energy from the electron field. The Whatever's generating it, the battery, mm-hmm. is radiating that energy to the electron field. It's not like, it's not like this direct connection through the wires, like it's directly connected. And that's, You know, the field goes throughout the universe and you have the conservation of energy. That's why, (laughs) that's why it works. So, and it's, it's equal, whatever this light bulb is consuming for energy, that's what the battery puts into the field. Again, why would I, (laughs) what are we going to fix? A fixed taillight because I, (laughs) yeah. I figured out the energy was not coming from the electron field like it should. <laughs> Actually, no, we could run with this. Uh, we got to have a big management meeting. We got to get Dutch on here and a bunch of other like <laughs> yeah. business have- coaches. You could really, could you imagine the stories you could write? We could all charge freaking 250 an hour. <laughs> I don't know. That's not enough. That's not going to pay for my ADOS class. 300 an hour? <laughs> Can you imagine that? Like, I found that <laughs> the energy was not making it from the electron field <laughs> yeah. to the high mount brake light bulb. Found a corroded wire. <laughs> we got to run with this. This is where we're at. Where it's at. We just figured it out. So I got another myth. I need to charge up my battery. That kills me every time I hear it. I'm like. The battery had no charge to begin with. <laughs> like, I don't know what you're charging. The desulfated. I'm like, you're restoring a chemical reaction back to a state where it's actually got potential energy in the state of electromagnetic force. It's not really charged at all. If you would actually drain all the liquid out of your battery, uh, it would never charge. It just kills me when people are like, oh, my battery's dead. I need to charge it. I'm like, charge what? It's not how it works at all. You call it a battery charger, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it turns my battery. The VSR MasterCard. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't say we were intelligent mechanics. I just said we fix cars. But that's another thing I try to get over in my uh, class as a big point, that the power source of a battery is actually a chemical reaction. It's not storing energy it's not a capacitor it doesn't store anything right because that's the difference so a capacitor actually stores a charge the battery creates it through a chemical reaction well and the capacitor doesn't even store a charge it just stores force (laughs) essentially yeah and and one of my examples i use is the mercedes capacitor that's like a thousand dollars that goes bad for the start stop all the time (laughs) i'm like 
So when that goes bad, you'll have a code that says secondary battery defective. Yep. I'm like, what they should say is this bastard can't hold any force anymore because it's done leaked out. It's, it's go-go <laughs> juice. <laughs> that's what it should say because that's what happened. It's go-go juice when bye-bye. My scan tool says replace lawnmower battery. Well, and that's fun, right? You try to t- try to take a mechanic over to diagnose a stator. That's in- that's enjoyable. <laughs> How did my lawnmower battery not keep a charge? I thought the battery thing was fun. Um, it kills me every time I see it. What else he got, Sean? He's got smoke coming out of his ears. That's what he's got. Yeah, brain's running. <laughs> it's running fast here. He's upset because this has been a colossal waste of his time. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's what that is. That no, is. It's going to be the least least listened to podcast in the history of podcasts. Well, they, <laughs> people listen to it in 10 minute increments before they go to bed because they'll start listening to it. And then, <laughs> it's I like movies the, I do that too. <laughs> it's like the Golf Channel. Take you a month to get through a movie. <laughs> God, okay. what kind of crappy movies are you watching? Okay, I, I, I got one for you if you want to try to tackle this. Um, I don't know how much time you want to go with on this podcast. We got, so. another, we got another hour to go, so keep it up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So I had, I think I had posted this in the Facebook group a while back and I still don't understand it. So maybe you guys can help me ignition coil. Right. Uh, and we're talking about the secondary side. So forget the primary side. I understand how that works. Secondary side, you got coil wire, right? Bunch of windings. One of those goes to the spark plug eventually. Now I was always used to looking at diagrams and seeing the other end of that secondary grounded or connected over to the primary side on the, on the ground side, right? It's connected to ground somehow. So, and that made sense to me, like, okay, completes the circuit through the engine block, finds its way back. That's, that was my assumption. There's some where it's wired up to the positive side of the 12 volt system. And that's never really made sense to me how that works. What's happening there. I think it works exactly the way you think it works. It's just the voltages you're talking about. You still have a tremendous difference in potential. So 12 volts is nothing. If I'm understanding your question correctly, a a diagram might help, but I would have answered this, that electricity has to return back to the source. right? Right. So how does it? Right. So, so you have, and, and we can't ignore the primary because an ignition coil is nothing but a step-up transformer is all it is, right? So you have mm-hmm. 12 volts that goes through a winding that creates yep. a magnetic field. Hey, but Matt, Matt, everybody tries to explain to me the primary. Like, I understand how that works. Great. Uh, Hold on. I'm getting there. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, so what happens is, is when that magnetic field collapses, right? Uh-huh. That magnetic field induces voltage. I, I'm, I know Matt Fanzel hates that word, um, but it, it generates voltage in the well, wind. Yeah, it's inducing. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. It, wait, yeah, but it's uh, anyway. So so you end up with this in, induction of because the fields are collapsing on themselves. And if a field collapse and there's a wire perpendicular to it, it generates voltage on it. So you end up. So you have 10 windings on one side and let's say 100 windings on the other. Well, because there's more windings, you end up with more voltage, which is why we get the high voltage difference. Sure. Now, what happens is, is that voltage then says, hey, wait a minute, I have some place to go. Where does it go? It goes down the positive wire, 
jumps the gap in the spark plug, yep. right? Goes into the engine block, yep. <laughs> then has to come back to the coil to complete its path. Yeah. And when the secondary, the other side of the secondary winding is connected to ground, that makes complete sense in my head. When the other end is connected to the positive, I don't understand. So that would be a, we're going to go with a 2006 Dodge Neon SRT4. So it has what they call waste spark coils. So what happens is the energy goes into the block, ground, right? Travels through the ground, jumps the plug backwards on the other cylinder, comes up and hits the positive. No, I, I get the waste spark too. And that makes sense too. It completes the circuit. I'm talking about just a single coil and a single spark plug and the other end. You see it in diagrams. I, I've I never seen one. this. I, I'll, I'll send you one. Do you know the car? I'm going to look it up right now. Um, hang on. I have it in a freaking PowerPoint here for my class, which I can pull up. <laughs> I'm logging into the Death Star right now. You know why I have this question is because a student asked me, and I'm like, oh, I don't know. So let me see what I can find. I really want to look this up now. My, my knee jerk to that is the voltage potential is still immense. It's Well, and the original energy has to go back to the battery because... That's where it comes from. I guess that's something I hadn't thought of. The other thing is, is um, as the coil then, as the voltage is used up in the secondary, it then induces voltage back on the primary. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it's a f just, I'm not looking anything up. I'm trying to go by memory, and it seems like it's a Ford thing. But would they link them on the positive, yeah, the positive side? I just think it's... You know, we're talking about thousands of volts versus 12. It's might as well be ground. You're still going to get the, the, you're still going to get the current flow where you need it going across the spark plug. All right. I sent it to you on Facebook messenger. I don't know if you guys can pull it up while you're watching this. So you see the secondary side, it's got the plug and then the other side it's connected to where the 12 volt source is. And it just, it doesn't make sense to me because I think of the circuit completing itself with that winding. No, or or am I am I thinking completely wrong? What what car is this? Do you know? I, I I don't. I think it's a Ford. You know what this is? I think it's just stabilizing the the main voltage because the the yeah. I think you're overthinking this. Okay. Because here's what's happening, and and I. I'm going to just be real arrogant and say, I think you misread this diagram. Okay. If you notice, there's only one power coming in. It's on pin three. Yep. Okay. So the power comes in and it goes to both coils, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. But the, the energy can't flow in the second, in the, in the secondary coil, right? We agree because it, it's not enough voltage to jump the spark plug gap. So the wire number one then then commands the ICM, which then grounds the ICM to number two, which then actually lets current flow through the first the 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 primary side, then indu when that collapses, then induces voltage back into the spark plug. I actually think it's misdrawn. I don't think the 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 primary side's really connected like that because as soon as the voltage would induce, it would spike all the way back up to both sides. And that doesn't make any sense. I, I think it's just a piss poor diagram, to be honest with you. Okay. Well, I feel like I've seen it before, but I can't say that with 100% accuracy. So if I see it in the future, I will let you know. But that's where 
because I had that I had that diagram in one of my presentations for a coilover plug, and a student asked me that because they were paying attention. And I was caught off guard. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, um. I'm not gonna lie, that would catch me off guard because it really looks like they drew them connected. I don't think they're supposed to be connected. Okay, because I'll do some searching and see if because to me the diode's even backwards. Okay. Yeah, I guess I've seen diodes like that where they have, it's not like a diode diode, it's more like a Zener diode. So they don't get voltage jumping across the spark plug too soon. That's not what they drew. Nissan does it. Yeah. Granted, it's not drawn as a Zener, but I've seen that before where they don't, they won't want to establish current flow too soon. Well, sorry if I derailed this with a visual for an audio podcast. <laughs> I really want to know what vehicle. Just thinking about it and the voltages we're talking about, it's going to find a path. The energy is going to be dissipated, you know, across the spark plug. Yeah, but why wouldn't some of that energy flow back into the vehicle system? Some of it might, but you also have all those other coils, which look like they're all fed. But I mean, that fuse also feeds other stuff. I mean, you think you'd see like a, a 50 volts link on that fuse every time a coil fires. <laughs> I mean, maybe no current flow. But that's where you'd want to scope it and see. Like there might be some flyback, but it just doesn't matter. It doesn't go anywhere that matters. If you were to scope it, maybe you see the spike on the, the feed side that's, you know, spike. And, oh, you know, I hate to even say a voltage because we don't have one here to test, but you know, has periodic spikes of uh, whatever, uh, 50 volts. And it's very quick and it's not going anywhere that would affect anything. Sure. It would be very, it would be very interesting to get that vehicle with a scope, maybe even buy a coil for that vehicle, probably have to get a motorcraft Mm -hmm. and try to cut it open a little bit and see. Right. See if that's the way it's actually wired. It seems like if memory serves, Ford legitimately had them connected like that. And one of the advantages that was um, not advertised by Ford, but uh, the the primaries would be, the primary voltage would be a very, very direct reflection of secondary. Like they're very close. And don't get me wrong, not like they're wildly different. But on these, it would be pretty much balls on. Okay. Not that that was their strategy to make our life easier or anything like that, but like I said earlier, my knee-jerk reaction is the voltages we're talking about, the potential differences, mm-hmm. 12 volts, 0 volts, what's the difference? It's going gonna, it's gonna to go where it needs to go and get back to where it needs to get back. Sure. Or, <laughs> or the wiring schematic is wildly inaccurate. Sure, and then that is uh, completely possible as well, obviously. <laughs> like, I just looked up a 2012 F-150 with a 3.5, and it's drawn very differently. Is it just a box with like four wires to it? No, it's, um, <laughs> me. it's got four wires to it, and it says PFM in it. And the FM of PFM has nothing to do with frequency modulation. I just sent it to you guys. So that one's even more different. And the black and violet's ground. The the number one is ground, two is uh, coil, three is positive. Yeah, so they have it drawn up the same way, right? No, because they have no 
So to me, three, if they were drawing it up the same way, would come over and connect to the secondary coil. It doesn't connect to the secondary coil. That's my issue I have with your picture. They have they have the secondary and primary coil both connected at 12 volts. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, they put the diode on the other side of the coil, but otherwise it's the same. Yeah, and if the diode was on the other side of the coil, I would say, hey, this is it, the electricity just doesn't flow there. It's that's that's why I'm like, uh, what? Like, I almost feel like this diagram's wrong. Like, I'd like to look this car up somewhere else and see if it's changed. I'm telling you, I I see new vehicles all the time where I'm like, uh, this diagram's wrong. <laughs> it says sure. pin 64, and I'm looking at pin 64, and I'm like, there's no pin 64. I have a 63, but I have no 64. Oh, look, 62 and 60. Three are supposed to be blank and 65 is blank. It's supposed to be in ten. Nope, it's really pin 63. Like, I don't know if it was put together wrong, but then why would both sides be put together wrong? You know what I mean? Like, it's just so I, I feel like the diode's on the wrong side of that one. But either way, they still got the secondary coil wider up to the positive. I have a friend that's got a master's in electrical engineering. I'm sending her both these pictures and seeing if she gives me an answer. Because I'm really kind of curious now. I would like to know the theory of this. And it might be something stupid too, right? Like, sure. If both sides are 12 volts, like Fanslow said, but this really works as a step up transformer, the current's only flowing through one. Even though that one has a potential charge of 12 volts, it might not matter to make the spark. But then my question becomes once that, once the secondary field collapses, wouldn't the flyback voltage then affect all the other coils? Maybe, maybe it does. Okay, so that's that's the answer, right? So it does, but it's enough force to go back through the. It's so much electricity; it can actually flow through the flow through the thing, and it almost jumps the gap of another plug because there's no resistance, right? It's on an exhaust stroke. There's nothing there. It essentially turns it into a waste spark. Yeah, I, I don't want to insinuate that's what's going on, but that might be a path to think about because we do that with diesels, right? Where that's uh, that flyback or whatever you want to call that um, is stored and used. Yeah. Any other like derailing questions? You know, <laughs> you got there, Sean? Good lord, man! <laughs> Any other pictures you want us to look at on a <laughs> podcast? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh. Is this dress blue or is it gray? <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm uh, I'm out of notes here. So, is it black with white stripes or white with black stripes? Oh man, that was a thing. That was I never got into that. That there was heated arguments in our shop. My kids aren't old enough. My, the way I saw it, because there was a number of people that were different, and the way I saw it, I looked up and I was wrong. My eyes are messed up. The cones or whatever take the light in differently, and so I was seeing it wrong. I was like, all right, I guess I'll. Just live with that. But I saw I think I saw white and gold. Or was it no yellow and black? I don't I don't even remember. But the other way was blue and I didn't see blue at all. And I was like, how can you see blue? I don't understand. <laughs> I, I mean I, yeah, I was going with Madagascar on that with the black and oh. <laughs> white stripes. <laughs> Chris Rock voicing the zebra, whatever his name was. So we're talking about different, totally different things then. Well, I remember that dress thing too. Though. Okay. Like all the rage for a while. Yeah. I don't, I have no idea what we're talking about. 
I'll send you the photo. We'll talk about it right now. <laughs> I uh, if it's not automotive, I don't I don't pay attention or woodworking. I do a lot of woodworking groups. That's it. If they were listening up to this point, they are now asleep. <laughs> if they've made it this long in the podcast, you should pay them. <laughs> I think I can feel in the floor the rumbling of snoring. I'm thinking this is never making it to post production. Oh yeah, this. Rocketing the number one. Are you kidding? <laughs> Can you imagine if you make this and somebody's like, hey, I'm a double E professor at MIT. I'd love to come on your podcast and explain <laughs> how wrong you are. The theory of relativity and how them coils actually work. It might happen. Well, we can all have dreams. Oh, you know what's fun to try to watch people figure out? Three-phase electric brushless motors in cars. I mean, what do you do? Just amp clamps? You could do voltage. Yeah. I don't do very many of them, but oh, I, I get a lot of calls for them. Depending on the voltage levels, you might need isolation probes. Pico used to have a, a, a current amp clamp kit specifically for three-phase, and they're all... The, the current probes are all passive, so they kind of like a a, um, a sync probe, really. These would clamp around the UVW, right? Those I, are the I three phase legs? Yep, yep. UVW. You would clamp around each leg, and then they would, uh, you know, they, they didn't need batteries or anything. I don't know. I, I don't remember seeing that anymore. So it's not like the current is so freaking high. But it was a fairly economical way to get the get those readings because you know voltage sometimes can be a little messy to look at. Yeah, I think I got. I'm gonna probably have Morgan on here to talk about that because I think he's found a very neat way to um, analyze three phase with a scope using um, math math channel, and it, it's not. I, I don't want to sound like I'm discrediting Pico at all. It's cool that they do it, but it's it's not new. It's it's something I remember. Um, I had a handheld um, Tektronix scope that would do it as well. I wasn't doing anything with three phase, but there are certain waveforms that I could have it draw, not in a conventional waveform that you would think of on an oscilloscope. It was kind of a math function. Uh, uh, to analyze waveforms or, or ease it on, uh, make it easier on your you know eyes or brain, if you will. And I think that's being applied to three-phase quite effectively. I'm not blaming the text because, like, first time I saw one, I just read the troubleshooting chart, and it's like, do you have voltage here, here, and here? Yes, replace the motor. And then you're like, uh, what the hell? <laughs> Things like where they really started getting smoked on them were the, the three-phase water pumps. Because those were far more had had a much higher failure rate than um, like the MGs, the not the car lines with motor generators, and even at that, you know, if they thought something was going on weird there, they just slammed a transmission on there. Where now the three phase water pumps, they may slam the water pumps on and it doesn't fix it. Well, now the GMs use a three phase brushless uh, def pump, right. <laughs> I mean, pretty soon it'll be everything. I mean, I don't see it stopping. I think it will because I think GM is realizing that that 
and I don't want to bash the industry, but techs are too stupid to diagnose it. So they're having <laughs> hundreds of warranty claims of these pumps, and they're going, it's not the pump, it was the module. Why, why don't these techs know? Well, I just don't understand how it works. Like, three-phase brushless DC motors is not, like, something that most people think about. Well, and GM, honestly, I think all the dealers now have Picos, and not not to just sit here and go on and on about Pico. It's just the the reality is is they have them in the shop. Did you marry Pico? <laughs> Stole one from a booth a few years back. It <laughs> <That> doesn't <laughs> even sound right. Use it from time to time. Uh, but no, I mean, but legitimately, that's that's what they have. They'll have them NVH, and then if they get some test leads, uh, they could test some of the stuffs and um, yeah, but it's not in their on testing. The tech support side. Yeah, but they could add it fairly quickly, you know. So a lot of the a lot of the manufacturers have separate, we'll just say automotive drop down menus. So when you download Pico, ours is fairly generic. Some of the car line car manufacturers have specific downloads on their servers or Pico server with you know specific way to get to it, and they will have stuff that's. Aimed prime, you know, directly for those car lines. With that's pretty cool. Yeah, known good waveforms or or setup. Probably even more importantly than the known good is the actual setup. And then, you know, I'm thinking it's odd GM wouldn't have a situation with their tech support where hey, go dust off the Pico, pull it out, hook it up, send me, you know, the PS data or whatever, and we'll. Um, look at it from there or have them just log right in and run the darn scope to look at it. And maybe they could get some top done augmented reality glasses. Well, what was the deal there? I saw the picture of you. What, what do you see when you got those things on? We we're just playing video games. That's yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> I don't know if I'm really like, I don't know how much I'm allowed to talk about them. <laughs> well, that, and there's an episode coming out. Maybe before this one will reach that I talked to Chad about it a little bit. Chad Schnitz, a vice president of Top Done USA. Yeah, I'd rather him talk about them than me say what I'm not allowed to say and then get yelled at because I'm good at saying too much and then getting yelled at and then going, well, <laughs> I guess you got to meet new goals. Sorry. And then they're like, oh, I, I don't remember for sure, but I'm almost positive he said I was getting a pair for free. <laughs> <laughs> There's one pair in the USA right now. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> they'll, they'll say like Google glasses on them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's all the stuff I can kind of think of. Sean, you said you're out. Yeah, I didn't. You guys covered a couple of my things I was going to mention. Um, yeah, I think just on the need-to-know side of things, uh, we, we mentioned a few of those, the relationship between, you know, amps, ohms, volts. Um, I, I always want to know, what's the circuit's purpose before I do any testing or assessing it? Like, what is is it? Is it doing work or is it sending data? I, I want to know that. Uh, I like to visualize what I... I'm stealing that. I'm stealing that from my class. Okay. <laughs> it's all yours. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of going to George Menchu's um, color coding class a little bit. That's what you're kind of doing where I think, if I remember right, network wires are usually purple. You know, and he's got a set way he wants with colors, crayons or markers or whatever that you mark off, um, you know, battery, 
power all the time, switched battery power, switched power ignition, ground. You know, he's got an entire uh, palette of colors and what they designate. And then you have your wiring schematic and you trace through them. And in some cases, if you have something where it's going to change states, just we'll pick on like a window motor up and down. You might print it off twice and do the color coding for each state, if you will. Probably don't even need to look at the wiring schematic when you walk over there because it's really in your head now what to expect, what everything should be doing. Um, I think you can get that right off the uh, AES Wave website. Yeah, he sells a chart. Yeah, it's got the chart, probably a book, maybe a video of the class. I saw him present it at NACAT. It was really good. You you know, but kind of back to something Matt has said in the past about taking classes that even if you don't think they have anything to offer you, uh, I took that class and was blown away. Which is funny because we did color coding very basic at Universal Technical Institute. Like they, oh, always make red power and this and this. So I do a very basic version of it in my class just to kind of get guys to understand like, Check powers and grounds, but draw them out. So, like I even I even tell them to draw a box around the fuse. And then when you know the fuse is good, you put a check mark next to it because then you know you physically check the fuse. <laughs> Listening to some mobile text, that's not a bad idea. And I always point out on the diagram, notice the fuse has a number. You need to make sure the fuse you actually checked matches that number because they're usually missing. Yeah. All right. So I'll wrap this up. I really want to thank you guys for uh, joining me here. Hopefully we talked about some interesting stuff. Hopefully it's you find some of it applicable or just, you know, really, really interesting, really cool. So thank you, Sean. Thank you, Matt. Anytime. Hopefully yeah, thank we can you. have you guys on again. I am, Like I said, I think we'll be over on the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast talking about why ice is slippery. <laughs> I'm going to ask what ice is in that podcast. Look, look forward to it. We'll see you guys there. Thanks, guys. You've been listening to Matt Fonslow diagnosing the aftermarket A to Z on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Matt on your favorite listening app. He's very interested in what you have to say. Let him know what you'd like him to cover and come on the show. Matt is all for advancing the aftermarket. Find Matt Fonslow on social media and connect or on aftermarketradionetwork.com.